If you like the podcast, don't forget to check us out on Instagram at What Happens in the Crypt. We're also on Spotify, YouTube, and Apple Podcasts. Hey there, dreamers, spirits, boogeymen, and slashers. This is episode 7 of What Happens in the Crypt. Today we are talking about the 1985 film A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. And we're also talking about the new 2020 documentary Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. The documentary focuses on the rise and fall and eventual rise again of Mark Patton, our main character, Jesse. Trigger warnings for the Nightmare on Elm Street movie and the documentary include gore, sexual situations, and within the documentary there is quite a bit of homophobic language. A brief synopsis for the movie is Jesse and his family move into the house of the sole survivor Nancy from the last movie. There, Jesse is bedeviled by nightmares and inexplicably violent impulses. It turns out Freddy needs a host body to carry out his gruesome vendetta against the youth of Springwood, Ohio. We'll also be talking about the documentary, which delves into Mark Patton's personal life, as well as the way the Nightmare on Elm Street movie changed his life, too. So we might go off on a tangent here or there on something that's not exclusively about the Nightmare on Elm Street movie. If you've even vaguely heard of this movie, you've definitely seen that iconic scene where Jesse has his wild scream queen moment. In this scene, Freddy comes to him and basically tries to make a deal with him, but I guess it's not really make a deal, it's force a deal on Jesse. In this scene, Freddy ends up like seductively holding Jesse's face and he puts a knife, one of the knife finger blades in his mouth, actually. And it's super sexual, kind of. This is where Freddy says one of the most famous lines for the movie, You've got the body and I've got the brains. And he pulls off the top of his head and literally shows his brain. Right, like what a weird deal <laughs> that he's trying to make. We got special work to do here, you and me. You've got the body. I've got the brain. For the prosthetic, for the brain, they actually really wanted to get, like, a dummy head and, like, concavely add the brain on top. But because they were short on time or there were differences with the director, the makeup artist actually just stuck a brain <laughs> on top of Robert England's head. So that's why it looks really, like, gigantic. And I think with the lighting, it <laughs> makes it look even more comical and, like, Jimmy Neutron. Yeah, he just has a really tall head. Yeah. This is also a major split from the original where Freddy needs a host right. as opposed to the first one where he only acted in nightmares. Right. In the first movie where he just intended to terrorize everyone in this one, he has like a different kind of game plan. Even if you haven't seen this movie, you've definitely seen a picture of Jesse's dance <laughs> that he does while he's cleaning his room. Yeah, this is wild i don't even know how else to put it um i know it wasn't scripted to be this way but it's very 80s like he puts on sunglasses they're snapping he uses his butt to close the drawer uh, the, the drawer <laughs> 
And, of course, the embarrassing moment when his friend from school just walks into his room and he's, what is the thing he's Popping holding? Popping that cork he toy. <laughs> ultimately pops a cork. Yeah. But whatever, he's dancing with it. It's phallic. I don't know. It's well, funny. Well, he's holding it. Yeah. <laughs> should, should, no, I no, not, should I not say it's no, phallic? No. Yes, <laughs> Aiden. Yeah, there's no other way to <laughs> think about it. And then the cork pops. This scene was a reference to Risky Business, which came out around the same time. And it had that scene where Tom Cruise slides on the wood in his underwear. But Mark Patton was a little too nervous, and he just kind of improvised the dance, which just kind of adds to making it funny, because it does seem so awkward and irregular. <laughs> At the end of the scene, they actually find... Nancy's diary that was left in the house after they had moved out. Right, and this is really what connects the dots there, because at this point, Jesse's having nightmares about Freddy Krueger, and now he's realizing that the girl that used to live there went through the same thing. Yeah, they kind of use the diary to guide at the beginning. Exactly. We can't talk about this movie without talking about the family birds. This is bizarro. <laughs> so Jesse comes home from school. He talks about how hot it is. The birds start freaking out. The one just plops dead. And then the other one is like attacking the family. But it's all like from the bird's point of view. And then it blows up. It just explodes into flames for no reason. Yeah, did Freddy, was it supposed to be like Freddy did that? They never really explained it. It was just hot. And then they blew up. And then later the dad is like, it must have been a gas leak, but that doesn't make your bird explode. <laughs> After a nightmare, Jesse wanders into a bar that in the documentary, apparently the entire cast and crew just thought it was a kind of like a punk bar. But the bar was obviously an S&M bar. Yeah, there's no denying that at all. It's not punky. It's definitely like a weird S&M gay bar. I believe, yeah, isn't it the director? He's like, oh, I, I never really thought of it that way. Yeah. Jesse walks in and he's really sweaty and it's... His, his entire shirt is undone. <laughs> yeah, not weird at all. And he just walks up to the bar and orders a beer, but they hand him like a cocktail glass and a beer which is strange, and then suddenly his gym teacher grabs him by the shoulders and he's wearing, like, a full leather outfit and takes him back to the school. That's so weird. Yeah, this whole scene, I'm like, is this a dream? Is it real? It's really foggy. Like, it doesn't quite seem correct on either way. Yeah, because then the, he gets to the gym and he's just running laps. Which is very much like a nightmare thing. That's like, you know, you think that you're going to walk into class naked or something, or your gym teacher is going to be in leather and forcing you to run laps. Next thing you know, these jump ropes come to life and start dra literally tying themselves around the gym teacher's wrists and dragging him to the shower. It actually is kind of creepy. <laughs> yeah, but he's still leather daddy. Jesse's in the shower at this point, and he just looks over, and his gym teacher is being magically dragged into the shower. The jump rope's, like, attached to the bar, and his clothes get ripped off. And then these towels just start smacking him in the butt. But leaving, like, big red marks, like welts. 
he gets slashed and all of the pipes start like spitting out bloody water in the shower and then you like the scene cuts and it's Jesse wearing the Freddy Krueger glove. Shortly after that, Jesse is dropped off by the police at his family home confirming that what just happened was real. Yeah, it's just so murky. Like, it just seems like a weird dream. Like, did he actually just murder the gym teacher? How did the police get involved? Yeah, like, was he just... They say he was wandering. Right. Naked. And they're just like, oops, let's just take him home. So they pretty much just brush right past the horrific death of the gym teacher and jesse is like suspicious that he did it he's really confused about what happened so he goes to see grady to kind of talk about it at grady's house is where we have like the official freddy to jesse transformation scene happen one of my favorite effects of all time is freddy's claws coming out of jesse's fingertips and his arm is like splitting apart It's really, like, Evil Dead-esque. One of the main makeup guys, Mark Showstrom, also worked on the Evil Dead movies, so you can see that there, like, the same kind of idea and the practicality of how it looks. Yeah, it looks really good, and uh, Freddy's face starts to, like, push through Jesse's chest. Right, and that's a callback to the first movie when Nancy's asleep and he, like, pushes through the ceiling and it's really creepy, but instead in the scene he's pushing out of Jesse's stomach. Yeah, and I think this is also where there's the not-so-great-looking effect with the eyeball. Is that the scene? Yeah, so that's really funny. I know you love that part. <laughs> yeah, I love it for all the wrong reasons, though. This, not because it looks good, but because of how bad it looks. Because there's, like, an obvious dummy head in the place of his real head, and there's just the eyeball darting around really quick. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you get what's happening, but <laughs> at a cheap cost. But then back to the good stuff, Freddy takes one of those claws coming out and, like, cuts his way out of right. Jesse's torso and, like, lo- leaps out, kind of? Yeah, it's like a dummy set up against the wall, and he, like pushes his way through Jesse's body into the real world. It's pretty cool, though. Mm-hmm. Freddy's now loose in Grady's room, and R.I.P. Grady, he gets slashed up against the door while screaming for his dad. Stabbed through the door. Yeah. The claws come out the other side that his dad sees. Grady! What? It's starting to happen again! <laughs> <laughs> what do you do after you murder your best friend go to a pool party duh he pretty much immediately confides in lisa that he he thinks that he killed grady he's really upset he's like feels like he's losing his mind and of course it's a little bit of role reversal there where she's like jesse i won't let anything happen to you as her being the girl in the situation instead of him saying that to her and then he has a giant tongue. Yeah, the tongue is really cool. <laughs> They're kind of making out a little bit, and then he has a giant robotic tongue that mostly gets cut out of the movie, but it's a cool two seconds. Yeah, the people that made the tongue said that it could like actually like lick up and down, and it had like full range of motion, and they were really excited about it, but it all got cut out. After this, weird things start to happen at the party, like exploding hot dogs. <laughs> right. The pool water starts to boil. 
like the beer is exploding. Yeah, it's starting to turn into a not so great time and everybody starts to, uh, they try to leave. On the inside of the house, Freddy is now loose and trying to attack Lisa. He, like, grabs her and bites her, and it's really gross. But there is one of my favorite scenes is she's, like, yelling at him from the kitchen, and he just grunts and knocks a bunch of plates onto the ground. That's true evil, though. Like, he's not only (laughs) trying to, like, murder you, but also just fuck your plates. Destroy the good china. (laughs) Freddy ends up jumping through the door wall, like this glass door wall. It's very action movie-esque. And he disappears. In the middle of the pool party, he ends up jumping up from under this pool grate into the middle of a group of teens. And at this point, things are even crazier. There's, like, fire around the fences. I know a couple teens, like, try to grab the fence to climb it and it like electrocutes them it's like glowing yeah and they're like trampling each other there's fireballs Liter- yeah, there's, like literally <laughs> stomping each other to death yeah. he starts just stabbing people at random he walks through the hedges and disappears in a ball of fire lisa at this point tries to go and get jesse back she actually goes to where they had been previously at the giant boiler steel mill thing Guarding this place is two Rottweilers wearing baby masks. They don't even look good. Yeah, it looks horrible, but it's definitely unsettling. (laughs) Yeah, and I forget about it every time. It's just something I keep, like, in a dark part of my mind. Yeah, it kind of comes out of nowhere. (laughs) And it's just, like, the mask looks so bad. Mm Mm-hmm. Those poor doggos. (laughs) They made it through, though. I'm sure they had successful acting careers after this. No, they went mad. No. <laughs> the ending of this movie is pretty lame, and of course, Jesse is saved by the power of love. Yeah, she kisses him while he's still like Freddy and says, Oh, I love you, Jesse. And Freddy just kind of melts away from Jesse. <laughs> yeah, this part's a little cool, it, visually speaking, but like story wise, it's so. It's a cop out. Yeah, it's so like a million other movies. Right. <laughs> <laughs> The makeup in this movie compared to the first Nightmare on Elm Street was a little different as well. So they actually changed Freddy Krueger's face makeup to be a little bit lighter and more realistic. Kevin Yeager is the Freddy Krueger makeup guy, and he wanted to make it look a little bit more realistic this time around and more human burned versus like demon that they felt like it read in the first movie. The other notable difference between Freddy in the first movie versus the second is that opposed to it actually being a glove, they redesigned the finger knives so it looks like it's coming out of his fingertips. This movie is the only Nightmare on Elm Street movie where the main protagonist is male. This kind of differs from most slasher films that have that final girl character as well. This is also the only Nightmare on Elm Street film where Freddy kills people in the real world outside of dreams. This is where the movie lost a lot of people. A lot of fans of the first one did not like the second one because of this. The true terror of the first movie is that Freddy gets you where nothing else can. He gets you where you think you're safe 
in your dreams. Right. And I feel like I get what they're trying to do with this. But like we mentioned earlier, it just feels really murky. And it's like, is it a dream? Is it real? And they didn't quite find the balance of showing that he was actually out in the real world. It kind of a lot of times feels like it's possession, which is like a cool idea for Freddy. But this movie, most of the time, just makes you feel like you're guessing if it's happening or not. Right. And that's a fine way to do like a scary movie. But for this idea that was so solid in the first one, it definitely could lose you. This movie also is one of two of the Freddy movies where he's actually able to possess people. Um, He also does that in Freddy vs. Jason, but not in any of the other ones. It's pretty easy to see why this movie ended up becoming a cult classic. There's obviously a lot of underlying gay subtext in this movie that initially caused Mark Patton and the movie itself to get a lot of hate, but as it kind of aged, people came back to it and really ended up loving it for that. This is actually the main focus of the Scream Queen documentary. When this movie came out, it basically ruined Mark Patton's career. It came out during the, the peak of the AIDS scare epidemic hollywood productions were would even go as far as making their even suspected gay actors take like hiv tests before they would even hire them on a set right and at this time too mark Patton was like 20 years old he was a closeted gay man and he was put in this movie that kind of forced him into the spotlight after this movie, Patton basically was done with his acting career. He was told he couldn't play straight and that he was the reason why people thought it was a gay movie. The screenwriter David Chaskin spent years refusing to acknowledge any intentional subtext in his script, which is wild because the dialogue is super suggestive. There's so many... <laughs> There's so many moments where they're just using sexual words and innuendos for almost no reason. Right, like, come on, dude. It's hard to believe multiple times, even in, like, interviews and documentary, in the documentary, people are like, oh, I guess I didn't really think about it, or I didn't really see it that way, and it's like... I've watched the same movie you made. <laughs> right. Even the director, Jack Shoulder, claimed not to have noticed the movie's gayness during filming. He was just like, oh, I think I thought it was just like a punk bar. Right. And even Mark and Robert England talk about how they knew right from the start that this was going to be like a queer horror movie or there was queer subtext. So the fact that the director and the screenwriter said they didn't get it is very strange. I think it's impossible. I think they just didn't want to acknowledge it or. Right. They they didn't want to have to admit that they had made a gay movie. They were too embarrassed. Because of this, though, Jesse, Mark Patton, really got blamed for making the movie gay. And uh, the documentary really focuses on this, how this ultimately um, ruined his career as an actor. He essentially took a 30-year hiatus from acting because of all of this. He was just pretty much done. He even went as far as to move to Mexico. Like, that's as done as you can be. Right, <laughs> leaving the country completely done, though. 
there is a documentary that came out a few years ago called Never Sleep Again, and they actually hired a private investigator to get in contact with him. And once that documentary came out, he realized that this movie had become a cult classic and that he wasn't getting hated on for being gay anymore, that it had kind of turned around and he was being embraced for his role in this movie. Patton was quoted saying, I didn't think I was famous. I just thought I was a has-been and a failure. Continuing, he also said, I didn't realize I was considered iconic. Yeah, this movie really did take on like a cult type of appreciation because of the Scream Queen being a male (laughs) and because of the subtext. One of my favorite parts of the documentary is like all the fans being interviewed. There's like that group of guys all there together. Like fangirling over him. (laughs) Yeah. Like when I remember specifically the one guy said he was my first crush because there were no other like, you know, gay stars. It's like, oh, my heart. Right. It's so it's really like it took a beautiful turn. (laughs) Yeah. Especially because a lot of the documentary, you can tell Patton has so much like hate in his heart still. You can tell Patton truly hated David Chaskin, the writer. Right. And in the documentary as well, he ends up confronting him and it does end up having kind of a a nicer ending to that part of his life, which is nice to see. Mm -hmm. After Mark Patton's uh, resurgence within (laughs) the acting community and kind of being back on the radar, he actually has spent a lot of time devoting his efforts to activism in the gay community as well. I really like and appreciate that he doesn't just go to like the big comic cons and charge people hundreds of dollars to, you know, sign a picture of him. He also goes to like gay bars. He goes to drag shows and events. He does a lot for the community. And he actually donates a lot of the proceeds of his meet and greets and stuff to the Trevor Project, which is a really cool foundation that focuses on suicide prevention efforts for the LGBTQ plus community. They also have a toll-free number if you ever need to talk to anybody. You can listen to us for free, but feel free to donate to them. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Patton is also HIV positive and fortunately uses his platform to help educate people in the community. He's been quoted as saying, I always start my pitch with, I'm going to talk about Freddy Krueger for 57 minutes, and then you have to give me three minutes about AIDS, which is perfect. I mean, who wouldn't sit through the three minutes about AIDS to hear him talk about Freddy Krueger for an hour? This film has the highest kill count for Freddy out of any Nightmare on Elm Street movie, with a total of 10. Our first death is Coach Schneider slashed across the back with finger knives. Grady, who's stabbed through the torso with the finger knives. We also have six pool partiers <laughs> combined. They were slashed, boiled, burned, trampled, and stabbed. The brave, brave partier who tried to negotiate with Freddy, who got slashed and thrown onto the grill. Just tell us what you want, all right? Okay, I- I'm here to help you. Open yourself, fucker! <laughs> Lastly, Lisa's friend Carrie, who's stabbed through the back with the finger knives as well. This movie starts the trend of the Nightmare on Elm Street series, leaning way more into the humor and campiness. This may be in part due to Wes Craven having nothing to do with this movie or any of the other ones up until Freddy vs. Jason. 
It really is a fun movie to watch, and Mark proves his worthiness of Scream Queen. If you want an in-depth look into the way this became so iconic, you have to watch the documentary on Shudder. Be warned, though, that it really does hit some sad points, um, but it's worth watching for sure. Yeah, I cried. I cried, too. As just stated, and as we state in most episodes, get Shudder. <laughs> get Shudder and watch Screen Queen. Do it now. As far as watching Nightmare on Elm Street 2, I'm super lucky, and Sean got me the box set of all of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, but unfortunately it doesn't look like it's available to stream anywhere for free. Hopefully you don't find this recording after we've been lost in the woods. <laughs> for our next episode, we're talking about the 1999 found footage movie, The Blair Witch Project. <laughs>